You're well, listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Would you please slow down? Would you please slow down in speaking? So we're grateful for these young ladies reading uh, God's Word. Well, it's so good to have many of you. I'm seeing some of your faces back for the first time, and I'm looking forward to 2021 back to somewhat normal. I'm reminded back in the 1970s, women burned something back then, and then this decade, I'm looking forward to burning these masks. And so we look forward to the day we're back to normal. And so uh, I would love to connect with you, and if you're after the service, please come up and say hello. Uh, love to just, for the future, we'll want to get together without face masks, have a cup of coffee, and let's just share with one another. If you've got your Bibles, keep it open to Ephesians chapter 1. This week, my week began with a funeral for a man, a father, a husband, a grandfather. He was a good man by all accounts. 20 years, part of our church, hardworking man, worked here at Bell. And as I did the service, I was watching his three adult children. They were all older than me. And they came to the casket, they came to the coffin, and they wept as their father had passed. And then later in the week, I had a great lady, a godly lady who passed away, more than 60 years a part of this church. She was a mother, a grandmother, and a wife at one time. And her three kids came to the casket, to the coffin, and they wept, all of which were older than me. And I guess I've watched thousands of those over the years. And Watch carefully as they walk up to that casket and coffin is the last time they're going to see the body of their loved one. Now, I've pretty well come convinced in watching all these through the years is that one of the reasons we weep is that we no longer have the access to our father. We no longer have the access to our mother. In fact, I thought about that at the heels of my father passed away in 07. He was a sort of a, a guru of how to fix things. He was an engineer and so I would call him from time to time and say, is this guy lying to me? Is this mechanic, is he telling me the truth? You miss talking to your parents. Well, I've got good news for you today. You will never, you will never approach the coffin of God the Father. You will never have a time when your communication with him is cut off because he's buried someplace or he is too busy. In fact, God has given us a great gift. Life is hard, is it not? Life is really hard. And God has given us this gift of prayer so that we can hear from him and he can hear from us. And no casket, no coffin will take access away from our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 1, you're going to notice that this is a prayer. Paul is praying a prayer. You'll notice that in verse 17 he mentions prayer as well as there in verse 15 if memory serves. And as you're approaching this, you're essentially sort of reading the prayer journal of the Apostle Paul. And wouldn't that be interesting and fascinating to read his prayer journal? Ever read somebody's diary? Maybe years after a famous person, an important person has passed away, and they've gone on, and now you have access to their private papers. Now, if I wanted to learn how to cook, I might travel up to northeastern Oklahoma and get with the pioneer woman. It would make my wife extremely happy. If I wanted to learn how to invest, I would go up perhaps to Kansas and meet with Warren Buffett. 
90 years of age and have him teach me how to make a lot of money. If I would become more healthy, I might go to my doctor or my nurse and ask them to help me become more healthy. But if I want to pray, I can't think of a better person to go to than the Apostle Paul. And embedded here is a prayer that we're going to look at for several weeks. And it's a prayer not just for knowledge and not just for wisdom, but knowledge because there's a power that's going to come upon us, as you said there in Saul there in a moment ago. I want you to notice there in verse 16, he mentions the word prayer. He says, remembering you in my prayers. And you and I would do well to pay close attention to the prayers in the Bible. Imagine, if you will, if uh, this upcoming week you were tapped on the shoulder and you were brought into the situation room. There's the vice president, the president, the brass of all the military, the NSC, all the people that are in the know. You look on the other end of that important table and there's enough screens on the other end. It looks like Buffalo Wild Wings, only they're not showing a football game. They're showing conflict over in the South China Sea. And there you see China's ships and you see our ships. And you begin to hear all the intelligence, all the important stuff coming out of the men and women who are paid at the very top of their game. And then the vice president looks to you and he says, we'd like to hear from you. That's an important moment, isn't it? Would you like to say something intelligent at that moment? Would you like to say something that you're confident in? Or would you like to say the first thing that comes off your mind? Now, the fear of that for you and for me, sometimes the first thing that comes off my mind is really stupid. <laughs> it's just not that, it's not, it's just not that, not that good. I, I would like, if I were in that situation, to be able to say something with confidence. The prayers in the Bible will give you a head start in life. If you will echo the prayers of the Bible, as you're seeing here in verse 16, and pray these prayers, you echo them. In other words, you hear what you see in Scripture, and you put it in your own words, you echo the prayers of the Bible. Really what you're doing is when you get into heaven's oval office, you're not just spouting off the first stupid thing that comes to your head. But you have something to pray with confidence. You need to pay attention, close attention to the prayers of the Bible. In fact, I would encourage all of us in the room today to adopt these prayers as our own. To take the words of Paul here and put them in our own words and to go to the Heavenly Father. Because when we're given access to the situation room of the oval office of heaven, so much more important than anything that's happening at 1600 Pennsylvania. Echo the prayers of the Bible. Look with me at verse 17 and 18. This is the heart of the prayer. And the prayer here is so that we would have a spiritual breakthrough. It's a prayer, if to use an older word, a word of revival. It's a prayer to have and to know God fully. Look at the words of verse 17. Here's our prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, more on that in a moment, on that word, in the knowledge of him. Do you see that? The word knowledge of him. Then verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may, what? Know what is the hope to which you've been called. This is a prayer of knowledge. This is a prayer of wisdom. And this is not the kind of knowledge that you'd get in a university or in a local school. Now, this is on a whole different level. Perhaps you were like me as a young person, you were given a Bible, and shortly after being given that Bible, 
I had a living Bible, green cover. Can you see those old green cover living Bibles? And I began to read through that. Shortly there, upon reading it, I read these words, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. I wasn't the brightest kid in America, but I thought to myself, now this is a different knowing than the knowing that I'm a barb of. And it's easy to figure out the knowing that Cain and his wife were engaged with was a substitute for sex. But notice carefully the word, he didn't use it to have sexual relations or sexual intercourse. Cain knew his wife. The Hebrew word is yada. And it's a rich word. And this isn't my topic today, but isn't it interesting that so much of our television says that the best sex you can have is a one-night stand where you know nothing about the person. You just hook up. You don't even perhaps know their last name. But the Bible says that the best kind of sex is when you fully know somebody. And you can begin to see here that the knowledge we're to have back now in verse 17 and 18 is not just information, it's not just facts, it's not just education. He's not just calling on us to be PhDs, but there's something alongside this that's an experience. Something of experience or something that's powerful here. In fact, verse 17, notice again that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and then the synonym, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I just call upon you. If you call this church home and you call me pastor, don't be satisfied with your current experience with God. So here's a prayer. Here's a prayer for people who already know Christ. See what Paul says in verse 16? He says, I do not cease in praying for you, who when I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, here's a prayer for those who know Christ to know Christ more fully, to be, have a breakthrough. So don't be satisfied with where you are. Some of you are in the third grade when it comes to God. Some of you are in the university. Some of you are way, way, way beyond where I could imagine my own life being. But don't be satisfied. God's calling on us to call out people by name who are already believers and to pray that they would know Christ more fully. If you had the if you had the opportunity to read or listen to a man in prison's prayers, what do you think you'd hear? I would imagine I might hear about, Lord, give the warden mercy. Give me more time in the yard so I could enjoy the sun. Maybe he would pray for the safety, his safety. Maybe he would pray for his family that they would not experience shame because Perhaps their father is there. Maybe he would pray that he would be delivered from these prison bars. I want to remind you that the man who writes his prayer is in prison. He's not a pastor in a study. He's a man who's been unjustly jailed. And if Paul were living in the American Empire, not the Roman Empire, he would not be in jail. There's such a thing as religious freedom, at least there is until recent days. And he would experience 
freedom and communicating the gospel. He did not get in prison because he's a felon. He's not in prison because he stole or he murdered. He is in prison because he communicated truth that people did not want to hear, and so they threw him in jail. You know, I find it remarkable that nowhere in this letter or any of the letters he writes from jail does he pray for release. He doesn't pray for a more just warden. He doesn't pray that Nero would wake up and release him from jail. Could it be that the prayer that you're praying right now to change the circumstances of your life or your family's life or some other important person in your life, could it be that the circumstances in their life, the one that you're praying for, God give them more money, God give them more of an easy life, could it be that the very circumstances that they're presently enduring, God has engineered those circumstances to get their attention? And if God answered your prayer, if he said, I'm going to listen to Mays, it's Sunday, I'm going to listen to him, I'm going to change my program because Mays has got a better program, could it be that if I got better circumstances in my life that I would disengage from church and disengage and begin to drift and quickly become just spiritually out there? Hey, I don't trust me. I don't trust my heart with prosperity. I've seen me in the good times, and I've seen me in the bad times. And I like my spirituality a whole lot more in the bad times. It's got my focus. Could it be that you're praying against God? And if God in his wisdom were to adopt your intelligence, well, it'd be a mess. Paul prays in verse 17, not for a change of circumstances, not that he would be released from prison, but that he would, look at these words, know Christ. Even though he knows Christ, that he would be given, and others would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that there'd be knowing Christ. I just want to just sort of camp out here in verse 17, and God willing that as we exit this place in the moments to come, that we would feel the weight of this, and we begin to have our prayers and adopt these prayers. In fact, one of the greatest pastors of America has been a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, who pastored and preached in the 1700s, and he had a a well-known sermon called A Divine and Supernatural Light. And he used, for all of his intelligence, this congregational pastor in Massachusetts began to use a simple illustration about honey. You've tasted honey, right? Now, if you were only told about honey, if your friends told you how good honey is, if you'd read about honey and how sweet it is. Something altogether different than to experience the sweetness of honey in your mind than on your taste buds. If you told me how sweet honey is, and I'd listen, my wife tells me that stuff, you need to try this food, yes. Yes, I need to try that. I need to try that. Yes, I do. And you tell me, because she gets her friends, and Scott, you need to try this food. You're missing out on something. And I hear all that, and I think, intelligently, this is a sweet food, honey. But when I taste it, it takes it to a different level. Some of you have only heard about God. You've read about him. You can win the Bible trivia class. You may even have experienced him some, but there's something altogether different when you experience a breakthrough and you taste the sweetness of God. Taste and see the Lord is good. 
It's a breakthrough spiritually. That's what Paul is praying for. Again, difficult circumstances. He's not even praying for himself. He's praying for them. And just to situate, just to sort of hover over verse 17 one more time. I offer you not only honey, but I offer you a story from a pastor who's a Puritan by the name of Thomas Goodwin. Thomas Goodwin said he watched a father and a son. They were walking down a street, and the father took the little boy up into his arms, and he embraced him, and he hugged him. I've done that from time to time with my three. I can still do that to this day, bring them up by arms, and even that six-foot-four boy of mine, and you don't let go till you hear the spine crack a few times, <laughs> right? And you look at them when they're a couple inches off, the, you say, do you know Dad loves you? Yeah, we get it, Dad, we get it. Release me, right? Thomas Goodwin said he, he saw this father embrace his son and hold him there for what felt like a minute. Can I ask you a question? Was the son any more the son of the father after the hug than he was before? Was he legally anymore? Was he relationally anymore? We all know those are stupid questions. Because the point of the hug was not to change anything about the relationship, but it was to communicate the powerful love between a father and a son. Verse 17, Paul is praying for just that. Not a change of circumstances, but it's an assurance of who you are in Christ that the Spirit of God would come and he would embrace and put his arms around you and lift you up. He would be beneath you and around you and you would know the breakthrough of his love. Have you experienced, I mean, have you experienced God's great love for you? Are you fine with the status quo in your relationship with God? Is there a distance between you? And the Bible's calling upon you and I to pray that those of us who know Christ would know him even more fully and deeply. Paul would later write in Philippians chapter 3 these words, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and be like him unto death. Jesus would say, speaking of knowing the Lord, Jesus prayed these words of the Father. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ in whom you have sent. Notice in verse 16, it's not a one-time prayer. It's not a one-time prayer. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I want to remind you here, he's praying for people that he may not have seen for five years. Paul was instrumental in the starting of the church there in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. He has left, and he writes now from a prison. And as he writes to them, he's hearing of new believers in Ephesus who've come to faith in Christ. I want to remind you, this was a tough, tough place to put a church. The city council was against him. They had a tremendous riot. And so he paid his dear price. And so he does not cease praying for you. Does this mean that if you saw Paul, he was always on his knees? Is that what a good Christian is? That gets a little stained glass place and a big old Bible like a grandmother or grandfather and just prays there? No. Doesn't mean he's on his knees all the time. But I do think he was on his knees. I do think he was on his knees. There's something about getting on your knees that reminds you that he is great and you are not. But I would encourage you to get on your knees frequently. This man who would pray constantly elsewhere would say, 
He is to pray without ceasing. You and I are called to pray as if it's the background music to life. It's the elevator music, and it just goes on all the time. And all the great people of God would pray frequently. We're told Daniel prayed three times, morning, noon, and night. He would open his windows. Even his enemies knew that. We need to pray for our friends and believers constantly, for people. You could adopt this prayer, by the way. You could adopt this prayer. You may be dealing with infertility. You may be dealing with someone that's in prison. You may be dealing with poverty. Whatever you're dealing with at this moment, you could adopt this prayer that those whom you love and know within your church family even would know Christ, would have a spiritual breakthrough. Not just a one-time prayer, but to persevere in it, to stay at it, to be devoted to it, to not give up or slack off and be habitual. I would tell you today, if you were to pursue education as I did in my younger years, what's the key to it? It's not intelligence. It's just that when that teacher puts up a hoop, you say, how high? I'm going to jump through it. And if that's true of education, how much more of prayer? This is the opposite of random prayer, occasional prayer, sporadic prayer, or intermediate prayer. You need to treat prayer like you're eating and sleeping and it's going to work. Don't be hit and miss with this. Be constant in this. If you want God to open himself up for you, then you must pray. If you want God to reveal more of himself to friends and family, you must pray for them. I found it intriguing that a 2004 study said 30% of atheists admit to praying occasionally. I'm confused by that. If I'm sure there is no God, then why am I doing praying? But thank God that they're occasionally praying. And then a 2010 study says that the older you get, the more frequent that you pray. Is that true of you? See, we must be convinced that you're not going to advance, you're not going to succeed, you're not going to make it unless we pray. So what if you adopted this prayer? What if you personalized it? What if you spent an hour or two today, what's fresh on your mind, and took verses 15 down to about verse 20, and you rewrote on a legal pad someplace, you rewrote on a typewriter, you made this the prayer, for your son? What if you made this prayer the prayer for your daughter? What if you made this prayer the prayer for your parents? They'd have a spiritual breakthrough. What if you prayed this prayer for the students and teenagers in the life of our church? I would submit to you one of the most challenging eras to be a Christian today is to be a believing teenager and walk into public schools, and that is no slight whatsoever to any public school teacher, any superintendent. I think they're working probably harder than any of their ancestors did in America. We've got a moral breakdown in America. What if you adopted this prayer and called out by name, and you say, I don't know any of these guys. They, they got crazy looking hair, and they just look weird, Pastor. What if you went to one, of, I agree, what if you went to one of their student pastors and said, can I get permission would you acquaint me with one of them? Can I tell you that one of the reasons I'm here today is a man named Logan who was a deacon. Logan didn't get me. He was an, he was an old dude. 
like 50-something. He was old. <laughs> and my little church in Kentucky, my, my father did not attend church. And Logan worked at the paper plant. Logan put an acre of tobacco out to put his kids through college. But Logan sat in front of me over to the right, and then at the conclusion of the service, that one door was his. You knew if you were going to exit that door, Logan was there. He would shake everyone's hand. And I never spoke to Logan at length, but Logan was the first man to take me to a jail to share the gospel at 14, 15 years of age. I was shaking, shaking. Then when I was 15, 16, 17, they put us as teenagers in front of a sensual class and said, Scott, you need to teach this group, this old men. I was, I was more scared then than I was at the jail. I thought, I know they're going to stop me and ask me some Bible question. I'm not going to know. It was pivotal. It was pivotal in this young man's life that a senior adult, he was so out of touch, he didn't know, he didn't know Michael Jackson. He didn't have a clue what a moonwalk was. He was pivotal in my life. Got to see him last year preached back in that little county. He was there. Told him that face to face. You can pray this and you can make a difference. You can adopt the next generation. This is a prayer. It's a power prayer to know Christ even more deeply. We're coming up against strong forces. Strong forces that will not move. You know, say, Pastor, there are things that are just in position. We can't move them. I have a feeling that if I took a sledgehammer to your house, I could move a wall by the end of tonight. The key is bringing a stronger force against it. We are a church that has the right theology, but my fear is that we're not putting it in practice. The Bible here, verse 17, calls upon us to pray. Look what it says. It's a prayer for wisdom. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. You know, we're about 15 minutes away from one of the busiest airports in America. I was told between services that during COVID, Dallas-Fort Worth replaced Atlanta Hartsville as the busiest airport in America. And no pilot worth his salt is going to fly that plane, land it, take off without help from the tower. The guy in the tower is the eye so that that man or woman who's piling that plane from a Cessna to a 777 is not flying blind. No plane flies blindly. They put a man in the tower, and if you're going to navigate life, you're going to need someone in the tower navigating for you who sees above the clouds and below you and around you. The pilot's not on his own. If he is on his own, if she's on his own, She's not going to make it. She's going to do something wrong. And the Bible calls upon us to be praying for someone in the tower to watch over us to give us spiritual breakthrough. Friend, our issue today is not information. The average teenager, the average young adult today, the average student has 34 gigabytes. They move through 34 gigabytes in a 24-hour period of time. That's the equivalent of 4.5 million pages every day. We do not need more information. We're swimming in information. What we need is wisdom. We need someone in the tower to guide us. And so Paul prays in verse 18. He says, this is our prayer, that the eyes of our heart are enlightened. Why the heart? Because in the New Testament, the heart is the seat. It's the seat of emotions. 
So here it is. There's a truth within the pages of Scripture. There's a truth that we're to learn and know, but it's to come and it's to feel. We're to even feel it. It's to penetrate and grip us, and it changes all of us so that we have, look at this, spiritual eyesight, and it's a gift of God. I want you to notice right there in verse 17, if we can move just one, the little word revelation. Do you see that word? Revelation in the original Greek is the word apocalypse, apocalyptic. We think of that as, you know, planes and just bombing and awful. The word in the original Greek is to uncover, it's to reveal, revelation. It's the pulling back of a curtain. We are praying that, God, would you pull back the curtain so that we can see you? Would you reveal yourself to us? Because this is a gift. This is, you don't attain this through education. You don't attain this through hard work. You keep coming back and saying, Father, I want more of you. I want to smell like you. I want my family to have tasted of you. I want my church family. I want the zip code to experience you more fully. I want them to be awakened. I want them to experience this is a gift. And so, verse 17 is a really powerful verse. It's one of the rare ones. I want you to notice that all three members of the Trinity are right there. You see them? God the Father is there. God the Son is there. God the Spirit is there. All three are equally God. And I like what our teaching pastor over at Cross Church says. This is AAA. He calls this AAA salvation. Because in verse 17, you see what the Father has authorized, what the Son has accomplished, and what the Spirit has applied. Let me say that in case you want to write that down. What the Father has authorized, what the Son has accomplished, and what the Spirit has applied. And so what we're praying for, Spirit of God, would you come and apply this? Would you embrace my loved ones so they would feel that love that the Father gave his Son on that street? Would you come and let them experience the taste, the sweetness of who you are, that they cannot live life, would you give them a hunger? And you repeat that. And you do it, rinse, wash, and repeat until the end of your breathing days. I would wish that you would believe in prayer, and I pray that you are a praying people. So I close with this story. When I was a young man, when I go to my maternal grandfather's house, Howard didn't often go to church for whatever reason, but he would turn on television preachers, which is a mixed basket of fruit. That pun was intentional, by the way. <laughs> and one of the guys that he would turn on that I really caught my attention, even as a teenager, was a man by the name of E. V. Hill of Watts. Great African-American. You can find him on YouTube. Evie Hill was adopted by a woman he called Mama. And he grew up in Sweet Home, Texas. I looked it up this week. There's a place called Sweet Home, Texas. Ain't much of a place, but it's a place. He grew up poor. He said he had to go miles from his cabin where his mother, what he called Mama, adopted him to even get to a paved road. But she wanted him to go to college. And so Evie says, Mama bought a ticket for the bus, and she'd give me a dark suit. She got me a couple pair of blue jeans and some shirts, and she wrapped it up in a rope around my suitcase. Get the picture? She drew out $5 from her purse, and she gave it to me, and she said, now go on to school, and the Lord will make a way. 
And just before he boarded the bus, it was the Trailway bus station there, just before he left Sweet Home, Texas, he heard her say, I'll be praying for you. He says, I can still see her waving goodbye as the bus, bus pulled out of the station. Hill said he splurged on the way to college. By the time he got there, he'd eaten quite a bit. He only had $1.83 of that $5. And the first thing he did was he went to the registrar's office. He got in line. Once he was in line, he said, and I quote, the first thing I saw was a sign that said $83. $83, cash, cashier's check, or money order. And the devil said, now which one of these do you have? And then I heard my mama saying, I'll be praying for you. And the devil said, don't be stupid. Get out of line. This ain't no prayer meeting. With all due respects to your mama, she ain't in control now. And again, I heard my mama saying, I'll be praying for you. So I just stayed in line, and I kept easing up, and the tension kept building, and I was one up from the person who was going to request that money, and I heard the devil say, you're next. What are you going to do with just a dollar and 83 cents? He said, but once again, I heard my mother say, I'll be praying for you. So I moved on, and I was just a step. His own story. He said, I was just a step away from the front of that line, and I felt a hand on my shoulder, and he said, well, it was Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew said, are you Ed Hill? And he said, yes, sir. He said, you need to get out of line. This is when Hill said, I'd come all this way now just to be denied my place. But Dr. Drew said, did you not get our letter? We've been trying to contact you. We're giving you a four-year scholarship with room and board and $35 a week to spend. And Evie Hill said, I heard my mama saying, I'll be praying for you. Do you believe in prayer? Do you think it impacts the real world? Or are you listening to a supernatural being called Satan to say, your mom ain't in control. You can't do anything about these forces. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.